Did you know that RGGEDU has an internship program where the best and brightest minds can develop their skills in the world of photography? I almost enlisted in their ranks myself, but declined at the last minute when I discovered my arch nemesis was joining this program. His name was Tomas. Welcome to the IGGEDU podcast, where Rob and Gary battle last night's hangover while interviewing six photographers in a row. Season 5 of the RGGEDU podcast is brought to you by X-Ray. The color perfectionist photographers and filmmakers count on X-Ray for turnkey color management solutions that deliver expert results across their complete creative workflow. From capture to edit to print. Perfect your color. Perfect your story. X-Ray. In this episode, we're sitting down with high-end retoucher Dennis Dunbar, and we're also with Rob Grimm still. He's still here. Of course. He's still in it. I, won't, I'm not, I never quit. <laughs> never quit. Never quit. Never quit. Dennis, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure to meet you and to sit down with you and talk about your retouching and, and what you do for a living. Well, thanks. It's great to meet you finally after all this time. And yeah. <laughs> a lot of fun to be a part of this process. Absolutely. For our audience who doesn't know you, um, tell us... Tell us who you are, what you do. What's, what's your career like? Um, I like to say I'm the guy that has the Photoshop magic for movie posters and yeah. images for advertising. Yeah. So I've been doing it a long time. I love retouching cool images, working with cool people. The, the movie poster process is something that, that kind of surprised me. I didn't, until conversing with you, I really didn't know how much goes into it. It is really a design process. Um, more than anything. The photography is really almost just an ingredient, is it not? Oh, yeah. Photography is more like just elements right. being used. I, I, the last five or six weeks, I was working at one of the movie poster places uh, in L.A., yeah. a place called The Refinery. They do great work. Yeah. And we're working on some big campaigns, and you know, you, it's up close reminder of what a meat grinder they put all the designers through. The studio's changing their mind. Like, oh, wait, we're going back to the look from a year ago. Like, stop. Oh, wait, start. Now, all of a sudden, stuff's due at the end of the day. <laughs> so tell us about the process. How, do, how does a movie poster get made? Um, it starts off, the studio's contact is maybe 15 or 20 um, ad agencies in L.A. They do the majority of the work. Mm-hmm. There's a handful of, like, really big ones and a lot of smaller ones. And the studio will contact them and say, oh, sometimes they just give them a script that maybe hasn't been shot yet. Like, start coming up with ideas. Mm-hmm. And so the designers uh, kind of work together. A lot of studios have a sketch artist. Uh, and so they start off roughing ideas with sketch artists just to get a general kind of idea of look for this stuff. So the place I was working at, um, the sketch artist was in the same room. I mean, he's drawing rabbits all day. Because <laughs> there's some movie coming out with rabbits, and like, so what would a rabbit look like in this thing? So they start off with that, and then uh, they start narrowing it down, and then this uh, designers start coming up with comps, with ideas. And then the studios will put them through round after round after round. You know, we like it with the big heads here, different heads, so can you, different expression on the face, different background, whatever the thing is. So round after round, are these focus groups, or is this just internal? Internal with, with the... Okay. You know, the account executives from the ad agency are working with the studio executives, and then they're working with their marketing team and trying to satisfy everybody. Uh, 
And then sometimes what the studios do is we're going to take this idea from you and give it to your competitor and see what they do with that idea. So there's a lot of Seriously? running around. Did they tell you they're going to do that? Like, we're going to, we're going to take your idea, we're going to pirate it and, and take it over to your competitor to see if they can do it's, better than you? It's sort of like everybody knows the rules of the game. Wow. So, so it's not looked on so much as pirating as, as we're all playing the same game. It seems vicious. Um, maybe from the outside it feels vicious, but... Yeah, it, it doesn't really feel vicious. Yeah. And that, maybe the designers get really tied to this stuff, but designers really learn to like take a step back and like... Our job is just to figure out what they want and get it to them. And you can't be too tied to your ego about your idea, your design. Right. Right. So after it goes through multiple, multiple rounds and sometimes many months of this stuff, then the studio will go, that's the one we want, or we want these six. And then that's when they turn it over to somebody like me. And they give the, uh, uh, nowadays the, the comps are, are done usually about a quarter of final size. So give it to me, and, and my job is to first, you know, add a little bit of extra bleed because mm-hmm. they design right to the margins, and you have to add, you know, at least an inch or two inch all the way around. Then you have to make everything work out to that, so you fix all the masks and everything. And then you scale it up to full size, and then you start replacing elements with the cleanest elements you can find and hunting down problems and fixing problems and trying to make it all work and then go through their rounds of, oh, wait, the eye needs a little more sharpness here. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's quite a process, and it's a lot of fun, challenging, uh, but it, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting process. And I would assume the competition is fierce, because who doesn't want to make a movie poster? Everybody wants to make a movie poster. Right, right. Yeah, there is a lot of competition in that. Uh, so getting into the agencies and stuff is, is a lot of networking, a lot of you know, building up a reputation. Uh, and a lot of the designers start off as interns, mm-hmm or junior art directors, and they kind of learn the process and start making connections, and they, they move around a lot from agency to agency, so you get to know a lot of people. So how do you build your reputation? What was your career path? What did, what did you first start working on? Um, I started out in working in photography in the 80s, mm-hmm. and then I worked at one of the big rental houses in L.A. that rented out photo equipment to major ad photographers from all over the, the world. Uh, this place was called Iranis PRS. Uh, I think the only big one now left in L.A. is Sammy's Camera, mm-hmm. which is a great place. Yeah. Um, and then after I left there, I worked as a photo assistant, freelance assisting with these photographers. And somewhere along the process, um, National Geographic had made a big splash when they moved the moon for one of the covers of their, of their magazine. And like, everybody's like, wow, what a scandal. And I thought, that's actually cool. I, I want to know how to do that. So I just started being a, something I was driven more and more to, to learn. So finally, around 1990, 91, it was my obsession. Every moment I wasn't working on a job, I was researching and trying to learn. And uh, so I finally got a computer and started working, and I got to build a portfolio. So I contacted the photographers I knew, and one of them was a guy named uh, J.P. Morgan. Oh, yeah. Who did a lot of flying people kind of stuff. So I did some retouching with him, portfolio samples, and then it turned out one of his clients was Roger Corman the king of B-grade movies, you know, like uh, Attack of the 50-Foot Centerfold and, mm-hmm. and uh, Death Race and, you know, Little Shop of Horrors and all that. Oh, great. And uh, Roger was looking to transition from having somebody do the traditional cut and paste and airbrushing into having somebody digitally retouch stuff. So, like, oh, 
here's Dennis. Mm-hmm. So for about 10 years, I did all the retouching work for Roger Corman. And that was a really interesting learning experience. And Roger viewed his company as uh, half as a university. Uh, so as soon as somebody started to learn what they were doing, he'd fire them and, and pay their assistant half the rate and give them a promotion. Really? <laughs> exactly. Oh, so we, we went through a lot of marketing vice presidents. But I also, he worked with a lot of uh, outside designers, freelance designers. So I started to meet and work with a lot of these guys. And then they went off to work in the ad agencies. And it was kind of like, oh, I followed. And so just a, a month or two ago, you know, I did a, a project with one of the guys that I met that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm still working with these people, you know, 25 years later. Uh, for yeah, that. That, so that was what got me started in working on movie posters. Building up that network is so critical. Yeah, you're building up the network. And you know, it's an awful lot of do you have the skills and push come to shove, can you deliver? So it's a lot about trustability because there's a lot of pressure on them. It's like, you know, the deadline's at, at 6 o'clock. Can you get it done by 6 o'clock? <laughs> a deadline for a movie poster that's, that's taking months. <laughs> right, but... Yeah, then it comes down to the wire. Like everything. Yeah. You know, like, you give them a year, they're going to wait till 11.59 the last day to say, yes! Right. So what do you think your first big break was when you started saying, like, yeah, I'm, I'm in the industry. I'm, I'm killing it. Uh... I don't know if you ever get to a point where you say, I'm killing it. <laughs> that was a trick question. Good answer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I, I think it was, you know, the, the first big thing was making that connection with Roger and then getting a steady client and getting to meet a lot of people. Um, and then one of the things I've always been doing is like looking for where's the next group of people to work with and how do you network and how do you meet people and get out there and just keep trying to get your name out. What do you think the... What, what do you think your most favorite project was over the, the past 10, 15 years? What, which one stands out as, that's my best? Um, there's a bunch of different ones. Uh, so Usually it's the sort of thing where you realize, like, wow, I wasn't sure we'd have any clue about how to pull this off, and we did. It's like I was telling you about this Nike project worked on um, three, four years ago, I guess. Uh, and they were creating these um, custom-made shoes from Pendleton Fabric. And they hadn't made any of the shoes yet, so they gave the photographer these light gray shoes. Some of them, they did, we had composite shoes together because they didn't have the right shoe. And then the photographer draped the Pendleton Fabric over the shoe, so with the same lighting, and then we had to make it look like the shoe was actually made out of that. And I'm like, wow, this is a really great job, a huge project. So I had two or three friends work with me on this. And at the beginning, we're like, um, how are we going to make this look right? And then you find the solution. Like, wow, that works great. Yeah. What was the solution? Uh, the solution wound up being really cool. Um, and I show this in some of the compositing workshops I do. Uh, we took the gray shoe and had to clean it up, make sure we'd gotten all the texture out of the gray shoe, and then make sure it was neutral gray. And then you lay it on top and use a blending mode. I think it was overlay with most of them. And then that would create a little lighting. That would give you all the shadows and stuff. So then it was careful, very careful paths and masks, yeah. make sure they were very clean. And then you had to pull some things like, okay, sometimes the stitching didn't show up right. So you'd have to individually mask out individual stitches and composite those on. Uh, but yeah, that formula of, of putting the, the shoe on top again as a overlay blending 
did a great job of bringing in that lighting and, and that effect. Is there a part of the retouching process that you absolutely hate? Are you just like, oh, fuck the pen tool? Um, it's not so much the process, you know, the, the retouching itself. It, it's funny. I've been doing it 25, 26 years. And, you know, like you go through all these different stresses and stuff. And, like, I'll be start working on a, on a shot. Maybe it's just a portrait. And I'll find myself smiling. Like, why am I smiling? I love retouching. <laughs> like, this is cool. Uh, but it, what becomes a drudgery is... Like when sometimes when you're on a project and working with the client and the budget's, uh, you know, a tight budget and they're putting you through round after round after round and kind of like, come on, like we're done with the time two days ago, but we're still working on this. And that's where it becomes kind of drudgery. Fortunately, I don't run into that that often. My clients are all really pretty good about it, but that's where it's kind of like, oh, my Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking through your movie poster page now and... Talk to me, compare and contrast, like, you know, putting together Transformers versus the Walk Hard poster, <laughs> the Dewey Cox story. That one seems like, uh, you know, anyone could have done that. No no offense, but it's just a, po- a picture of him with text. You know, so that still goes to you? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, in that case, it's an awful lot of, you know, the, the retouching. That was, you know, the uh, one for Walk Hard with, um, that was done in-house when I was freelancing John at a place. C. Riley. Yeah. That yeah. was when I was freelancing in-house at a place called BLT. Yeah. They're one of the big movie poster agencies. They, they probably do... What's BLT stand for? Uh, three partners. Um, Don Bailey, uh, Clive, yeah, yeah, Rick Lynch, and, and gotcha. I, don't, I don't remember the key, but it's like the names of the three partners. Yeah. Not bacon, lettuce, and tomato. That's very disappointing. Yeah. They do have, they do yeah. use that as a logo, though. I hope so. I hope that they oh. serve that for lunch all the time. Too. And, and it's, <laughs> it's a great place. The people yeah. are really cool to work with. You know, you pound a lot of hours working there. Yeah. You know, so like you oh, get off before beers. 11 o'clock, you're a wimp. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Yeah. You know, so, so they pound a lot of hours, but they do some really great work there. And so there it was working in the house and there it was like, you know, uh, John C. Riley's skin wasn't the greatest in that shot. So it was oh, like, so you're doing a lot with his skin. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting is um, since I work on a wide variety of genres, beauty, product, compositing, movie posters, I pick up tricks and ideas and techniques from one or the other. So now when I work on something where it's a you know, like, uh, big shot, it's got to be you know, beautiful skin, it's like, oh. I use the techniques from this beauty spread I just did last week and, yeah. and dodge and burn where other people might be like, oh, let's just get out the paintbrush and start spraying paint on. Sure. And so I feel I can get a little bit better looking result by mixing the techniques and ideas for it. But every uh, genre, the clients have a different thing they're looking for. So in movie poster stuff, the people at the studio and the actors and stuff like that, they like a little heavier-handed retouching yeah. than you might think of for like an editorial spread or something. Yeah. So the Transformers poster, where are you getting that picture of that Transformer? Is that given to you or are you like making a lot of that? Um, is that the one with the big robot? Yeah, yeah. Ah. It's, the, it's the one, that one. Oh, yeah. That was, the robot itself was a combination of a lot of different stuff. The two people below were, were like really bad color, not very high resolution 
JPEGs. 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 Yeah, like it's one of the things about low res JPEGs. They give you low res JPEGs. Somet- sometimes it's the only thing you can get. It's like um, I was working on some stuff for a movie coming out. I'm not sure they they want me to give them the name, but you know, it's one of these fantasy game yeah. being made into a movie thing. And um, we were doing these character banners, and this was one of the things where five or six weeks ago when they first called me in, like, oh, we've got to get these done right away, and like you start working on it, like, oh, wait, stop. Now the client's going back. And every week it'd be like, oh, start on this again. Look, stop. Here, we'll do work, other stuff. So finally they approved this stuff. And the um, one of them, the shot for for the uh, main actor, was a not very good quality shot from the set. And so he's a small guy in a, in a not very good quality thing, shot with the highest ISO. And there's like no detail in the guy. Mm. And it's like this mush. And like, I got to figure out. So are you basically so, rebuilding them, just using it as a sketch almost? Um, what I was doing in that was after going through and trying to minimize all the chunky grain and noise and clean that up as much as possible and, and add some sense of sharpness as much as possible, what wound up being the end solution for that was they also had a bunch of shots of the same actor from what they call the special shoot. So when you work on a movie stuff, the assets you get from the studio will be a lot of stuff set shot on set, sometimes you get frame grabs, which these days are better quality than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they'll take the main actors and they'll have a photographer shoot them in the studio in all these different poses. And sometimes you're taking a hand from this and a leg from that and, a, and you know the head from this and Frankensteining a body together. But what I did in this case was I took elements from the special shoot where this guy's like, you know, the angle of his head is almost the right one here, so I can take his glasses, mask out the glasses, put the glasses in, and overlay blending, you know, wow. high pass on it, and I'm like, ah, look, now the frames look sharp. And then beard texture that way, and mustache texture that way, and, you know, so, like, you're really Frankensteining the stuff together. Right. It, it, it's a little alarming that they would, you know, this is the, the movie poster that's selling, and, like, it's almost like you're getting shafted with all, like, JPEGs, and, like, they don't really care, and they're just like, yeah, make it work. Yeah, it's a lot of making silk purses out of sow's ears. <laughs> I've never heard that. Oh, that's yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that but, a good one. that's that's a lot of what the process is. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too because it, it, clearly they care about the movie poster. Like it's an important element. They've got all these layers of approval. They have months to work on it. Um, crash and burn, get it done, change it, send it to a different agency, see what they can do. But then they're going to give you a crappy element that has low res and bitmapped and has no detail in it to make as an element on something that's so important. It's almost it's totally counterintuitive. It is, but an awful lot of it's because of the process. In this case, part of the delay with these character banners was the um, head guy of the agency said, we have three different groups we have to please. We have our clients, which love what we do. We have the producers for the movie that want something really arty and you know like they love to hang on their wall and then we have the international market people that want something that's going to sell in asia or whatever and we have to make all three of these people happy and it's getting them to all finally agree oh that's the pose we want for this guy like oh great like you pick the worst quality one and like it took years of pain to get to this point we're not going back we're just going to make it work yeah man so talk to me about i'm curious because i love this movie um, the Will Smith I Am Legend. How did that? How long did it take? What did? You, what was the challenging about it? Talk. Walk me through that um, creation. The Will Smith I Am Legend thing again. That was done 
probably like 10 years ago, I, I yeah. uh, was freelancing at BLT again. And the challenging thing for that was all the buildings in the background because um, these were all different grabs of different set shots and stuff like that for all the buildings. And so you had to match everything up, make the perspectives for all these buildings agree. So it looked like a single wall of buildings yeah. instead of a bunch of stuff. And then there was so trees those buildings in front, really cars in front other. you had to get rid of yeah. and clean out and retouch out. And, and um, so it was, that was really most of the challenge with that was building that background and making the background yeah. look seamless and believable and, and workable. So who's the person on set taking these photos to give to you? And is he just the behind-the-scenes photographer? And Yeah, there's... Uh, in fact, I think it's a union position for a lot of these movies. Union photographers have to put in enough hours to get union certification. Yeah. And they're on set photographing. And stuff. Yeah. So there's not a big pool of them. Yeah. Every once in a while, I get to meet them and try to make friends with them. So they give me good stuff to work with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you can tell them how to, how to do it better? Like, well, here's uh, what I need, dude. <laughs> it's, it's sort of like back up a little more. More coverage is better. Right. And focus. Focus is good, yeah. Yeah, there was one movie a uh, long time ago started work on, and the set photographer thought he would be arty with low depth of field. And so the heads are sharp and the feet are like complete blur. Like, none of this stuff's usable. Right. <laughs> we can't make a poster with, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, so, so you try to, like, just, give, just understand your work is one element out of maybe two dozen elements going to go into this thing. So... You know, you're not creating the final art. Yeah. You've got to give good elements, good so, pieces to work So when, when you're pricing this out, do you give them a bill at the end based on how long it took you? Or do you just say, all right, that's going to take me 20 hours, and if it takes me 30, I'll eat the cost? Um, it works a variety of ways. When I go in-house, it's, you know, they bring you in for the day, and you're clocking the hours. Gotcha. Uh, that's a great part about it. When I work on it from my studio, because, you know, for a number of them, uh, still send me stuff to work on uh, for my studio. Uh, then it becomes some clients, hey, we need an estimate up front. And other times it's like, just let us know at the end. You know, you've worked with them enough, so yeah. you understand what's reasonable, what's not reasonable. Yeah, yeah. The thing that's hardest about estimating is um, I'll get calls from photographers. Like, hey, we're going to do this shoot. We're going to have all these shoes we need to done. And like, you know, we need an estimate for this, like, any idea what the elements look like? No, we haven't shot it yet. Any idea what level of retouching the client's going to want? No, like, we just need to come up with some numbers. Like, great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do you prefer getting all the assets first to look at them to give a better idea of what it's going definitely That's definitely a lot easier to get an idea uh, if you get to see what, what you're going to have to work with, yeah. uh, the scope of the project and all. Like, before I came here, I got a call from a, a guy, he had uh, an agency in L.A. that has shots of national monuments. So they need to extend it out really wide. And uh, a rep friend of mine, who's getting back into the repping business, called like, oh, you know, like, hey, would do you want to do this? Like, well, I talked to him, and you know, it looked like it was going to be at least a work's worth of work. I'm going to be in New York. Like, oh, but he said the, the first one's not due until Tuesday when you get back. Like, I don't want to promise I could do a job in two days yeah. that could be 40 hours worth of work I have no idea what it looks like because I haven't seen any elements yeah you know yeah. Uh, uh, extending out a, uh, adding on to a wide horizontal could either be really easy because everything fits nicely or a monster of a job because nothing fits and you have to make up a lot of stuff yeah yeah it's, it's very common for movies to have the editors on set to make sure that they can do it but 
it's very rare with photography. Why do you think that is, to have the retoucher on set as well? Um, I think a lot of that is budget. Um, and every once in a while, you do get to be on set. Um, I was working on something for Halo's Tangerines with a photographer in the San Francisco area, Hunter Freeman. Really great guy. Oh, yeah, he's, he does great work. Yeah, and um, in that case, Hunter was shooting in L.A., so I said, oh, come on down to the set. You know, and so I spent a half a day hanging out on the set and, and like, oh, you know, we're going to do this. But I've done enough work with Hunter that he knows, like, okay, one of the number one things retouchers need is is blank background. It's like, oh, we're going to have to want to swap this kid's head. Like, well, if there's a picture in the background, if I have a shot of just the blank wall with yeah. the picture, I won't have to figure out how to paint picture. Yeah. <laughs> so Hunter knows that stuff. So every once in a while you get to do that. Um, I do occasionally I get to work on cars and so uh, a lot of times they'll bring you on set because with car photography um, at least what I've seen is nowadays they'll um, shoot an overall shot and then they're running lights around and, and here's a light for the front wheel here's a light for the back window here's a light for the logo on the front you know they you know, have all these different things, and you're wrapping the stuff in while on set. So everybody gets an idea, like, it's going to come together, and then you're going to take and work on it maybe another 10, 15 hours perfecting yeah. it back at the studio, but you're doing that. And then while you're roughing that together, they're off shooting all these other close-ups or other shots of the car. So they'll get several shots done in one day, but the first thing is, you know, roughing everything together for the main beauty shot. And it's great to be on set for that because I come back with a much better road plan, like, I know exactly which frame you want for which instead of pick one out of these 30. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, right. oh, wrong windshield. <laughs> you, by now, have worked with probably every version of Photoshop. Just about, yeah. yeah. I think it started so, with 1.0, 1.5. So what are some of the changes that you've seen that have absolutely made your life so much better, so much more workable when it comes to Photoshop? Um, it's funny. I was... Uh, uh, a friend of mine, Carrie Bean, was was teaching a, uh, a product retouching class at the show yesterday, and uh, so I was sitting in on her class, and she was saying like, "Oh yeah, when I started working on Photoshop, you had a 640 pixel brush. Like, try 64 pixels." Yeah. Photoshop One had a 64 pixel brush. <laughs> like trying to retouch a eight by ten transparency with a 64 pixel brush. Right. Yeah. So so brush sizes is a huge help. Layers. Yeah, you know, um, we used to have to play a tremendous a lot of tricks to figure out how to kind of create an idea of before afters and stuff. So you could open up the before image and the after image. Like suppose you're compositing a head onto a body, and you had the one before you put the head on there, and you had the one after, and then you could line up the clone source from one image to another and kind of fake a layer that way. I remember that doing it on a quadrate 800 too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my first computer was a Wicked Fast 2FX. Yeah. $50,000 for a two, computer system. V. I had a 2VX. That was my first one. Uh, <laughs> 50 grand. What are you re retouching on now? What's your setup? What's your uh, desk look like, I, too? My desk is a mess. My, my studio is a complete mess. <laughs> yeah, every now and then people are like, oh, can we come see? Like, no, it's like really cluttered room. <laughs> so what's on your desk right now? Describe it. Um, well, I've got a, I got a mid-2010 Mac Pro you know, with uh, maxed out with the RAM and stuff, and I'm amazed at how long those machines are kicking and, and yeah. doing great work. Um, I've got a dual monitor set up. I'm shopping for a new primary monitor uh, for that. So I've got a dual monitor set up. And I had the Wacom tablet 
cannot do this work without a Wacom. And I have the keyboard in one hand, and then I've got you know notes on by my right hand to like look through notes for the job or whatever. And then I've got my laptop to the left, checking emails. My wife comes in like, you're the very picture of ADD. You're, you're <laughs> listening to punk music on the, on the thing. You have a video running on your... <laughs> like, yeah. like, hey, somehow it works. Yeah, yeah. What sure. do you want that you don't have? Like, what does Photoshop need that would make your life even better? Good um, question, Rob Grimm. Yeah, you know, one of the things I've been asking Adobe for years is I use the spot healing tool a lot. I, my philosophy is start off with the simplest approach and work your way up you know, if you, you just be very watchful about what results you're getting. Right. So spot healing tool does a really great job of getting a lot of spots out. The problem with the spot healing tool is you have two options for sampling, either all layers or this layer only. Mm-hmm. And if you go to the healing brush, you get this, this layer and below. So if you have color correction or whatever on top it's affecting it, you don't have to worry about turning right. them off. Spot healing tool, you don't get that. I'm like, that would be a huge help. Right. Why do you think that is? I have no idea. I keep asking yeah, Adobe. They probably I, don't. Know I, I used either. to be really active on the beta uh, thing. Then when you went through the cloud thing, and you never knew what the, where the point of the cycle was, and I was getting really busy, like I didn't have time. But I would keep asking, and I like, just never get any response. So like, I have no idea why. Son of. A... Uh, so do you do anything with Capture One? Do you render any raw files there? Um, yeah, on, on occasion, I I have to upgrade my version of Capture One. Most of the time, the photographers are, um, when, they, when I work with a photographer, they're either um, sending me already processed TIFFs, or they've adjusted stuff in Capture One or Adobe Camera Raw, and they send me you know, the file for that. So like, sure. I can open it up, like, okay, I know where your starting point is. So I use both Capture One and Camera Raw, depending on whatever the client setting up. Where do you think the, the retouching industry is going? Do you have any... Are you optimistic about where it's heading? Um, yeah, I am optimistic about where it's heading. Uh, it's interesting. Um, the the view I, I get after doing it for you know so many years is uh, on the low end. There's a lot more competition, and you know you get calls to work on e-commerce things. Whatever we have five dollars in image and like. It's going to take an hour to do this work. There's no way I can do it. So if that's the, you know, if you're aiming at the low end, it's going to be really, really hard. Uh, but you got to work your way up to get the skills to be able to do high end stuff. And if you can aim at the high end and build up work, you know, a portfolio and a reputation for being able to deliver, along with a lot of marketing to reach out to clients, there's a really good career you can build. Yeah. Do you think there's a, a huge demand right now for retouchers out there? Yeah, I think I think there is. There is a big demand, and you look on the internet. Everybody wants to learn how to be a retoucher. Yeah, what what would you recommend? You know, where should people start? Should it be on product? Should what should they focus on first to kind um, of bite it off small chunks at a time? Yeah, that's a really great question. Uh, I've always worked on a wide range of genres. These days, if you look on social media, Facebook, or whatever, it seems ninety percent of the people think beauty retouching is the only retouching there is. So that's what everybody wants to do, everybody wants to start off with. Um, unless you're at the really high end of that, though, an awful lot of those budgets, you know, like you work in, I worked on an editorial spread for, for some big magazine in Europe. Like, yeah, you got 75 bucks an image and you spent three hours on it. Yeah. You know, so, so that's going to be hard to build up. Uh, but I would say 
start trying to build a portfolio and find photographers you can work with and grow with and um, you know just start learning that way and then start building sure out and and it you know some people only want to work in one genre uh, and that's great uh, you know find the find the kind of retouching work you love and then try to stay hungry and keep learning and, and building skills and getting better. The hardest part is developing the eye about what's working and what's not working. And that's time in. That's not something that just... It's time in and, you know, um, reaching out and getting good feedback from people. Mm-hmm. You have to let go of your ego for that. You know, it's, it's one of the things... Carrie Bean and I have a Facebook group for retouching, and one of the things we laugh about is the person who's been doing it for three months think they know everything and don't want to take any criticism but want to criticize everybody else. Like, you have to let go of your ego and... and okay. You know, understand what, what's valuable and what's not. Do you share information and get information from a lot of other retouchers? Like, how do I do this? Or are you guys sharing a lot and talking to help build the business? Oh, in that sense? yeah, I, I, I love doing that. You know, I, I teach a fair number of workshops yeah. uh, around and, and love doing that. And one of the things that's amazing about that is, um, you know, there's a saying, if you want to learn something really well, teach it. So you have to be able to explain it to other people. Right. But the questions they ask make you think in a different way or they pose something you've never thought of uh, so that's a great way to do it uh, and then every now and then you get to meet with somebody like um, at Photoshop World a year and a half ago I met Seth McCullough and, and we spent three days geeking out trading tips and ideas like your head spinning right. I have a friend I started working uh, who actually helped me learn in the very beginning and uh, we were both freelancing at this one uh, boutique place three or four years ago I was saying yeah you know, I've been experimenting with frequency separation but never really quite clicked you know what the really great use for it was and he said well it's good with wrinkles and it was all he said like so I went and started working with wrinkles and fabric like wow changed your life so, so <laughs> ju- just the one word from this guy right so, so you know, a friend of mine who was a creative director uh, he had his um, philosophy about being a vacuum cleaner of the universe sucking up ideas from everywhere and, and so that's my you know, that's my approach. If if somebody started out two months ago, I was like, what if you did? Like, wow, I never thought of that. Or somebody's been doing it as long as I have, says it's good for wrinkles. You're going to get tip. How do you see the world of CGI affecting what you do going forward? Um, CGI, right now there are, are different parts of imaging that look like they'd be really, really interesting to get into. CGI is one of those, but it's also a really deep rabbit hole, mm-hmm. like, to get to the point where I would have a marketable skill level, similar to what I do now, would take many, many years of developing. Um, so there's a huge thing for that, uh, and it's growing in, in, um, in car advertising. A fair number of the cars are CGI cars. They still need somebody like me to composite it and make it look like it belongs in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, every now and then I get uh, a CGI shot. Like one of the projects I worked on, six or seven years ago was these um, plastic ener- plastic bottles of an energy drink for mm-hmm. Coca-Cola, NOS, N-O-S. And the CGI guy was, you know, lighting it and rendering it out, but it still needed a lot of retouching. And so we spent like two months working on maybe a dozen of these bottle shots together. And so like they still need a ton of retouching. So that's good. Yeah, so you're still seeing CGI and, and traditional retouching kind of still working hand-in-hand hand right now. And right. Stuff. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's 
because to really be marketable at the high end, I think each skill is specialized enough that you got to focus on that side or this side. There are a couple of people I know who are really good at both, but but it's extremely rare. Yeah. Rob, guess what time it is? It's jingle time, Gary. That's a great idea, Rob. What time is it? It's jingle time. Now, what time were you going to say it was? I was going to say it was jingle time. You were not. I was. Guess what? I came up with another one. You did? Completely original. All right, let's hear it. Yeah, yeah. RGG, the podcast. The podcast. Rob, 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 Rob Grim, Grim, Grim. He's a host. Is that, do you think that would work? I think it sounds very original except for that whole Werenberg Theaters thing. What? Werenberg. The podcast. The podcast. The podcast. We've been trying to come up with a jingle and it's not working out. No. We're not jingle writers. Well, not with that attitude, Rob. Come on. <laughs> Dennis, where can, where can people go to find your work and check you out? Uh, my website is uh, DunbarDigital.com. So you can check it up there. I try to update my blog whenever I get a chance to. Occasionally I write an article for like SLR Lounge or whatever. Yeah. So I'll post links on my blog about that. Cool. Cool. That's good, guys. Awesome. We'll I, don't know, I don't know how Pi does it. Pi's a machine. Pie. This is the pie. Life pie. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. We yeah. appreciate your time. Any final thoughts? Last? Oh, Lord. Um, just keep learning. Keep on learning. Preferably at rggedu.com. Dot com. <laughs> <laughs> to download this episode in the entire season five, where we're recording in noisy ass New York, go to rggpodcast.com. It is amazing, the ambient sounds of New York. Yeah, I know. It's just I mean, loud. AF. Everything. I know. I every know. door, every car, every bus, every police car, every ambulance, every fire truck. What else, Rob? Uh, you hear the pipes clanging from above. I don't know what the hell they're doing there. What else? Um, trucks backing up. You hear mm-hmm. a lot of that. What else? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Over and out. And don't forget to give us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of these and you know, send us an email. Feel free to email me. Let me know who, who we should have on the podcast. Over and out. Until next time, which is going to be 10 minutes. Cheers. Thomas and I have a feud that goes back ages. Don't ask me how it started. All right, I'll tell you. We were photographing a wedding in a small town in Brazil, and I was tasked with getting that magical shot when the bride and groom cut the cake. Just as I had the happy couple in focus, Tomas released a giant Ecuadorian chicken the size of a Cadillac into the reception hall, and the bird attacked the wedding cake and ruined my shot. I'll never forgive him, ever. Damn you, Tomas. Season 5 of the RGG EDU podcast is brought to you by the new I Want Studio from X-Ray, the start-to-finish color management solution for color perfectionists looking for expert results. I Want Studio features a full suite of tools to calibrate and profile all your devices, from capture to display to mobile to print. Your prints will match your vision more perfectly than you ever thought possible. I Want Studio, built by color perfectionists for color perfectionists.